Okay, so I kind of wanted to start with a little mind exercise this morning, make sure everybody's awake. I'd like for you, if you wouldn't mind, if you just close your eyes for just a minute, I'd like for you to think about the most joy-filled person you know right now. Now, I'm not talking about sappy and goofy, although sometimes that goes together. I'm talking about somebody in your life who's just really full of joy. I mean, you, you can just tell they're happy to be alive. You can just tell. I mean, these are people that have an amazing confidence in God. They're optimistic about the future, even this future. They're a breath of fresh air to be around. You just love it when you're with them. You can't get enough of them. That kind of person. I hope everybody in here has at least one person like that in their circle that Jeremy's been talking to us about. By the way, pretty good preaching the last couple weeks, eh? Okay, now let's think about a person who's not so full of joy. Think about this person that you don't like to hang out with too much because they're just, I don't know, negative, critical, judgmental, always putting people down, complain, they're martyrs, say no a lot. Think about that person. Now, don't look at them and don't poke them in the ribs. I'm saying just think about them, okay? All right, one more thing. Think about a happy place. What's, what's your happy place? The happiest place for you. you know, we've talked about this before. You know my happiest. The happiest place on the planet for me is a little block of sidewalk between the loop that goes around the campground and the dock at Lake Buena Vista in Disney camp, Campground. That's my spot. <sighs> yeah, that's just a good place. And, and by the way, I do understand that for a lot of people, uh, the thought of going to Disney World is a whole lot happier than actually going to Disney World. I know I talked to a family a couple years ago. They, they went down there in August. I mean, what in the world were they thinking? They got down there in mid-August. They said it was 120 degrees in the park. I bet it was. They went to Magic Kingdom, which is a magical place, by the way. But they said they were miserable. I mean, uh, the kids, one of the kids was afraid of the characters. He said we stood in line for two and a half to three hours for each ride. Two of the kids got sick because it was so hot. Everybody was complaining. So he got all the kids together. And he said, do you have any idea? I mean, I'm just mad. Do you have any idea how much money it took for me to get you here today? Do you, do you kids realize you're going to junior college because we're here today? You will stand in line for two and a half, three hours. You'll get on these rides and you'll be happy or I'm going to give you something to be unhappy about. Now, I've seen that a lot at Disney. That's why we like to go to the campground and get in a hammock under the tree. And, oh, happy place. Okay? Now, here's my point for this exercise. You didn't think I had a point, did you? I mean, I get it. Sometimes I don't. But I do have a point this morning. Here's my point. I was thinking about South Union Christian Church last week, and I was thinking, what if South Union Christian Church was the happiest place on earth for a lot of people, instead of just Jason Trulock at this point? What if every time somebody came to South Union Christian Church, uh, whether they're new or unchurched or, you know, a stranger to everybody in here, they just felt welcomed. What if we became known throughout the entire Monroe County that this is a place of joy? Wouldn't that be cool? What if every time somebody heard the word Christian, instead of thinking judgmental, pious, homophobic, gun nuts, what if instead of thinking that, they thought joyful people, people who love to be together, people who laugh at themselves and laugh at each other, wouldn't that be awesome? Shouldn't that be the way it should be, right? Not so much. Angie bought me two Christmases ago the uh, first six seasons of Gunsmoke, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's 233 episodes of the half-hour classic. It was good. Now, these were made back in the 1960s, and, and I, I love shows that were made back in there because that was a happy time. 
a joy-filled time back in the 60s. And, and that's how old I am. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. And, and things have changed a bit since then, quite a bit. Mental health experts today say that depression is, get this, 10 to 25% greater than it was in 1960. That's a bunch. Even though we're smarter than we've ever been and richer than we've ever been. If we're still in the 1960s, I could help my kids and grandkids through math all the way through high school. I, your, your papa majored in math. Can you believe that in high school? Today, I am confident that I couldn't help Acton do fifth grade math. That's not a bad thing. That's just a thing. What I'm pointing out to you is that we're smarter than we've ever been, we're richer than we've ever been, and we are sadder than we've ever been and madder than we've ever been. According to health experts today, in 1960, the average onset age for depression was 29 and a half years old. Do you know what it is today? 14 and a half. 14 and a half years old. Family, our 14-year-old kids should not bear the burden of depression. Something's wrong. We have messed happy up. Now, social science is all about happiness right now. You can find books and articles, all kinds of papers written about it, but you and I know where to find it. It's in the Word of God. And the best place to go is in the book of Philippians because that's joy and that's real happiness. In the book of Philippians, which Paul wrote, the word rejoice, rejoicing, joyful is mentioned 14 times in four chapters. And here's the kicker. He is in jail, chained to a guard when he wrote this book. Here's a guy that's humiliated, chained to a guard, and he can't talk enough about joy. I want that kind of joy. We need that kind of joy, and we can have it. We just got to remind ourselves once in a while. So let's do that. Philippians 1, 1 through 6. You can pull out a blue Bible if you want to follow along. By the way, those are yours if you need one, or if you know somebody else that needs one, take one with you. Pull it up on your phone. It should be on the screen. Philippians 1, 1 through 6. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from our God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, and this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Being confident of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Is that good news? Somebody said, what, what work? The work of salvation. What God did for us is redemption. What God does in us is sanctification. What God does through us is service. And Jesus said, I'm going to build that up in every one of you until the day I come back to get you. And if that doesn't give you a little bit of joy, it ain't clicking. If that don't make your bell ring, your clacker's broken. Because that's just good stuff right there. That's who we are in Christ. And you've got to love what Paul, his, he describes himself in this letter as a servant of Christ. This is good because you've got to remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the people of Philippi, which was a, a colony of Rome, which most historians believe was the most status-conscious, status-obsessed uh, culture in history. Now, this is an outpost, but if you were in Philippi, you were considered a Roman citizen. And the way to find happy in Rome, in Rome uh, or Philippi was to climb the ladder of success. More money, more achievement, better grades, all those kinds of things. 
And Paul comes along and describes himself with a word that no other Roman would use to describe himself. He said, I'm a servant of Christ. In fact, he uses the Greek word for slave. This is as far down the ladder as you can get. Paul says, I'm not the master of a pleasant life or the ruler of a successful life. I am a slave to Jesus Christ and I couldn't be more joyful. This is good. I love what John Ortberg calls it. He calls this the happiness paradox. He says, I love this. He says, here's how it goes. I will never be happy if the ultimate goal of my life is for me to be happy. You will never be happy if the ultimate goal of your life is to be happy. Happy is one of those things, he says, that comes only as a byproduct when you're going after something else, when you're going after something bigger than happy, something better than happy. Because as it turns out, there's something that's a whole lot more important, a whole lot more significant, and a whole lot better than happy, and it's called meaningful life. Isn't that good? Now, Stanford did a study on this several years ago, and they found a strange connection between happiness and meaningful. And as it turns out, if you have happiness without meaning, it, it becomes very shallow and very self-absorbed and, and, and doesn't last very long. And we see that all the time. People think, if I just get what I want, anytime I want it, any way I want it, if I can go through life without any pain or any problems and everybody loves me and everything goes my way, then I'll be happy. Those, that's happy circumstance. It just doesn't work and it doesn't last. Somebody's got a job. It's not a good job. I'd be happy if I got a good job. So they get a good job. They find out there's a lot of pressure with the good job. A, a lot of challenge, you know, a lot of stress. And they're thinking, man, if I could just go back to my old job. Or if I could just retire. And by the way, there's a lot of studies on this right now. And I've been reading them a lot lately. And they're finding out that not everybody, but a lot of people, when they retire, the funny thing happens is happiness goes way up for a little bit. And then meaningfulness drops, and so happiness drops because you're not giving anymore. We'll figure out a way to give when that happens, when the time comes. People think, if I just get a chunk of money, I'll be happy. Because I, I know happiness, you can't buy happiness, but money sure makes it fun to look for it. You know what I mean? If I just get a chunk of money, then I can be happy. And so we get a chunk of money, and, and we buy a better truck or a nicer car or a bigger house or you know, a boat, or we go on vacation, we spend it on ourselves. And again, happiness goes up for a little bit, but it doesn't last very long. It goes down in meaning. You see it over and over and over again. Kids, the progression of kids is so funny. We've all seen it, especially some of us that are older. I'd be so happy if I just, when I get kids, I'm going to be so happy. Because I get kids, I can hug them, you know, and I can teach them how to play ball and, and have a good time. And they'll get straight A's in school and everybody will love them. They'll be gifted like I am. And I can show the world. I can share my genes with the world to be happy. When I finally get kids in the house, I'll be happy. And then you get kids and there's dirty diapers and bottles and crying and temper tantrums and exhaustion and sleep deprivation. And they find out that having kids is costly and exhausting and stressful and draining. And happiness goes up for a little bit and then it shoots to the bottom. You know when happiness starts again? When the kids get out of the house. It's funny how that goes. Can't wait to get kids. You're happy when you get kids, and you can't wait to get out of the house. And then you're happy for a little bit when they're out of the house, and then happy goes down again, and then they start having grandkids, and meaning comes back to get out of hand. Then they never come out of the house. You know what I mean? It's good stuff. Now, I could give you lots more examples, but I'd run out of time. But what we're finding out, people get to the end of their lives. It turns out meaning matters a whole lot more than happiness. And God has created us in a way that if you want sustainable joy, the best way to get it is to find meaning in your life. In fact, we could say it like this. If you shoot for happy, you're not going to get happy or meaningful. But if you shoot for meaning, you'll be full of joy, just like Paul's talking about. So, 
Let's talk about a couple of ways to get that, and then we'll get down to the altar and do some praying. Uh, to find meaning, kindness and generosity. It's amazing that it really is true. The more you give, the happier you are. Now, Paul was actually quoting Jesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. That's why it's in red letter when he said, Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And Paul's trying to teach the Philippian church that, that you don't find happiness climbing the ladder. In fact, he says very, very clearly that if you want happiness, you're going to have the attitude of Jesus Christ, who didn't climb the ladder, he descended it. I have a book in my library. Uh, it's, an, it's an older book. It's from Bill Hybels. It's a very good book. It's called Descending into Greatness. And that's exactly what Jesus did. The Bible says, in, in the very nature, God, he, he didn't find that as something to grasp, but he gave it up, emptying himself, and became a man, and became obedient as a servant, even obedient to death. And Paul's saying, listen, if you want to have joy and meaningful joy in your life, that's what you've got to do. Jesus said this in Mark 9, 41. He said, just give a cup of cold water in my name. You want to be happy and full of joy? Just give a cup, just a cup of cold water. And listen, the reason we've got to remind ourselves this and talk to each other about it is it's just not in our nature. We're not going to drift in this direction. We talk about this all the time. Really, deep down in our hearts, we're about me. Me, 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 me. We got, the first time we got our carpet clean years ago, we don't even have carpet now, so it's been a long time ago. I didn't know how exhausting that was. You got to move everything in the house into two rooms and then clean all the carpet, and then you got to go back and move it back in the other rooms. You feel bad for me, right? So anyway, I'm doing that, and Steve Pendleton stopped by. He was still working with the youth ministry back then. That's how long ago this has been. And he saw what I was doing. He helped me. Thank goodness he helped me out. I never got it done. We got those little things you put under the furniture to slide them around. What a gift from God those things were. And we moved this thing around. I got everything. And then they cleaned it all up, and I moved everything back. And then the next day, they're done. I'm on afternoon shift. I'm, I'm still here, but I'm IPL. And Angie calls, and, and she's working at Ellsville, I think, at the time. Anyway, she says, uh, hey, did they, did they get done? I said, yeah, they're done. She said, awesome. Would you put everything back before I get home? And I said immediately, very quickly, I said, oh, no, honey, I don't want to do that. I want to make sure you're happy with this. So I want you to come home make sure you're okay. Because, listen, if they don't make you happy, they're coming back. Is that smart or what? See, I wasn't really concerned about her expertise, or expertise at all. I was just lazy. I didn't want to move that stuff back. And so I manipulated the situation, made her think it was all about her. Don't look at me like that. Have you never done something like that? I mean, everybody in here. You see what I'm talking about? That's the way we move. But the weird thing is we find out happiness really happens when you don't do what you want, when you do what somebody else wants. You get lit up. Jesus said, just give a cup of cold water in my name. You'll be amazed how good you'll feel. Because it turns out being kind and and generous really gives you a meaningful life. Jesus is a genius on this. And I think we ought to try it this week. Just go out and just random act of kindness. Just do something for somebody. Start at home. It doesn't have to be big or expensive. Just do something. You know, we go to Boggs a couple times a year and camp, and we love it. I take my little 12-foot John boat and my little electric trolling motor and the kayaks, and the kids fish, and they swim, and we boat and have a good time. Well, one, the second day out one weekend last year, I wanted to go fishing for me for a little bit in the morning. Now, Griffey wanted me to wake him up, him and Acton, so they'd go with me. Well, those of you that fish know that when you take the kids with you, you don't get to fish. And so I'm thinking, if I could just have two hours... So I'm getting up, I'm in the dark, and I'm outside, I'm getting my stuff, I don't want to wake anybody. And I'm starting to feel really bad about this, you know. And I think I remember even saying, Lord, I feel like a doofus. And I think I remember him saying in my spirit, you are a doofus. 
But don't judge me on this because I went in, I woke up the kids, I got acting and Griffey, and they came outside, and we built a fire, and then here comes Archie, and we had s'mores for breakfast because that's what you do when you camp with Pablo. And then I wiped their seats off before they sat down. Am I a heck of a guy? You know what I'm talking about? But I had a whole lot more fun waking those kids up and taking them fishing than I would have had by myself. See, that's what Jesus is talking about. And if you really want a shot of meaningful joy adrenaline, find somebody at work or at school that you're not getting along with and just do something for them for no reason at all. You blow them out of the water. Take your neighbor some cookies. Go go to the nursing home, visit somebody, maybe somebody you don't even know. You'll light up their life. You'll light up your life. Because as it turns out, we were made in the image of God. And our God is a giver. And when we give, we're just like Him. feels so good. Second way to find meaning is suffering. I know that sounds strange, but here's the deal. Suffering can eat into your happiness for a little bit, but it is powerless against joy. It, it is powerless uh, against meaningful. The suffering is. I mean, we're talking all the time about all the nuts stuff going on right now in our culture. We got wars and rumors of war. I don't know what's going on in Ukraine yet. I don't think we can get a full scoop there. We got terrorism. We got racism. Every kind of ism you can think of. We got child abuse, we got sex abuse, we got drug abuse, we got hatred like we've never seen it before. And if we're not careful, we get to thinking, maybe we shouldn't be talking about joy and happiness at church. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Have you read the Bible? Have you been in the Gospels? You'll find out that the the most joy-filled these people ever got was right smack dab in the middle of suffering. How'd they do that? Because joy's unstoppable, man. It's unstoppable. You can't keep it down. It's, it's like a flower growing on the crack of a sidewalk. It can't be stopped. And that's the joy we have here. Paul says to the Philippians, every time I think about you, I'm grateful. I mean, this is, this is crazy stuff. Did you read? Have you read about, you remember what happened to Paul when he went to Philippi? They falsely accused him, stripped him, beat him, and threw him in jail. We'll show you happy, mister. And Paul's saying, every time I think of you, I'm thinking about joy. I, it's, in, it's in Acts chapter 16. I love that passage of Scripture. He's chained in the dungeon with Silas in the middle of this status-conscious, wealthy society. And they're singing praises to God in the dungeon. And all the other prisoners heard him started singing with them. And, and they turned that dungeon into the happiest place on the planet. And I know what song they were singing. It's a small world after all. No, they weren't singing that one. But family, this is how you and I respond to suffering, okay? Not with despair and hopelessness, with usefulness. Yeah, there's a mess out there right now. We'll do something about it. I know kids are starving right now. We'll do something about it. We got, we got World Vision. We got Compassion International. We got Feed the Children. We got a pantry right down the road begging for green beans. Do something about it. I got some friends right now, they're kids, man. They're having trouble with their kids, having trouble with their marriage, they're having financial trouble. Then do something about it. Call them up on the phone, send them a text, see if they need anything. We got people in the church right now that are driving back to forth to Cincinnati. Some of you might have seen that on the email because they got a child in a the hospital. They need food. They probably need some babysitting. They need some money. Well, let's do something about it. We're a church full of joy. Let's find the hidden joy right smack dab in the middle of this, of this suffering. Happiness, my happiness might take a hit, but not my joy, man. No way. And there's a lot of joy in this church. That's why I love this church. I love what Jeremy's been reminding us. This is not a church where we got it all together here. You got no problems here. This is a church full of messy people. 
trying to get things back together and grow up in Jesus Christ. And this is a place where people join together with the promise that eventually we're going to win. I love Psalm 35. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And it might be tomorrow morning. It might be next week, and it might be at the resurrection, but it's coming, and we all know that. So our happiness might take a hit when things go bad, but not our joy. Not at all. i got to hurry. Invest what matters most in people. That'll give you meaning. Your energy, your time, your money, you invest in people. Love God, love people. God loves people. Paul loved people. I thank God all the time. One person said this, nobody has unhappy relationships and a happy life. And nobody has joy-filled, meaningful relationships and an unhappy life. That's how it goes. Uh, again, an economic study at Stanford was done on this, uh, a pretty deep study, where they noticed that people uh, find short-term happiness when their monetary status goes up. And we know that a lot right now with the stock market. I mean, this is all we talk about. Every commercial is Bitcoin, uh, Swab. It's all about money. And this study shows that when people's money goes up for a little bit, they're happy. Now, this is a secular study. What they also found out is that people can find deep, meaningful relationships. Their happiness goes up and stays up. In fact, according to this study, deep connection and relationship is worth more than $100,000 a year in life satisfaction. Now, I'll save you the trouble of going into the study. I'll give you a quick application. You come up to me after church today and write me a check for $80,000. I'll be your friend for life, and you're still going to be $20,000 ahead. Isn't that a wonderful study? I like that study. But here's Paul, man. I mean, according to financial services, this guy is dirt poor. Relationally, he is filthy rich. I can't thank God enough for you. I love you. I love you. Thank you, God. I mean, that's joy, folks. I, Sean Aker, I was looking for the guy's name. He's a tax auditor. Uh, the story is told about a tax auditor, Sean Eckertos, about this guy who was sitting down at lunch break, and he actually put out an Excel, you'll love this, an Excel spreadsheet, you love spreadsheets, but you won't like what he did, on the mistakes that his wife had made for the last six weeks. Can you imagine how his wife must have felt? His ex-wife probably is my guess. When she got a hold of an Excel spreadsheet of her flaws, it was a flaw audit. And I was thinking about this yesterday. Most of us in here, probably all of us, none of us in here, have an Excel flaw audit sheet on anybody else. But we got a lot of them up here and a lot of them in here. Can you believe what Cain said three weeks ago in that sermon? I, I can't believe he stands that way. I can't believe he's for this. I can't believe he's against it. Do you hear what she said to him? Do you know what she said to my kids? Do you know what he did to me last week? Do you know what? Paul says, you want a meaningful life, you stop that nonsense. You don't do flaw audits, you do grateful audits. Are you happy to be part of this church? Because I am. Then do a grateful audit. You go up to people after church today and say, thanks for coming to this church. I love being here with you. And give them a hug. Then you go to work and you go to school and you say, thanks for being my friend. I'm grateful. I'm doing an audit on how good you are. Thank you so much. Go home and say, thank you, Mom, for cooking all day yesterday, for doing the laundry, helping up my laundry, always there. Thanks, Dad, for keeping the lights on. Paul says, you want to find meaning. You do a grateful audit. And then one more, and we're going to pray. You plug in the true vine of Jesus, John 15, and you get deep spiritually with Him. I, you know, we're thinking about a happy place. I, I'm thinking about um, a cold 
empty place. Think about that for a minute. Because here's the one I came up with, an elevator. An elevator, man, that's just a weird thing to me. Elevators have always been weird. You get on this elevator, sometimes they're crowded. You don't look at people, you don't talk to people. You know, you might get an occasional, oops, excuse me, this is my floor, or I'm sorry I stepped on your foot. But for the most part, proper elevator etiquette is to get on the elevator, fold your hands and look up at the floors until you get off. You don't talk to anybody. It's almost like there's a a sign-up sheet when you get on the thing from management. No talking, no smiling, no contact, no nothing, no exceptions. Unless, unless you get on an elevator with the staff at South Union Christian Church. Unless Jackie Goss is on the elevator and Christy Webster, and then you've got a party. Because those people are full of joy, man, like you've never seen. Because of whose they are. Because of what they have. And we just got to remind each other once in a while, that's what's going on here. We have Jesus, folks. He's in us. He's connected to us. He's surrounding us. He's for us. He's got my back. He's got my front. He, he, he's got everything about me. He's in my corner. And yeah, I might be sick once in a while. And I might be in debt. And I might want this. And I might want that. And my kids might be here. And I might, but as long as I got Jesus Christ, I'm good to go. You got it? I'm good to go. Because there might be weeping tonight, but there's joy in the morning. And that's who we are, South Union. And it's all because of this. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. What a place of joy this is. So come up here this morning and just take this and just say, thank you, Jesus. I, I mean, I don't get this. I, the, the, the depth of love and mercy and the way you figured this out before you even created the world is so deep. I, but here's what I get. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, and I cannot thank you enough. This is my joy. Come up this morning and spend some time telling him that. If you don't know this joy, you're not going to find it anywhere else, I promise you. I'd like to talk to you about it. Come see me.